I'm going to do it a little bit differently tonight. Normally we'd have our readers come up now, um, but I wanted to introduce the series that we're... Um, uh, <laughs> sorry. I want to introduce the series that we uh, are starting tonight and uh, let you know a little bit about where we're, where we're going. This summer we've been asking you to do a little imagination, and if, if we can get the slide up there about the, the urban monastery... We've been asking you to, to just dream a little bit about what it would look like for us to be an urban monastery, to serve our city that way, and this has been our little definition. An urban monastery seeks the peace of the city by offering a school for the Lord's service and extending hospitality to guests. We spent the summer asking what does it mean to extend hospitality, and now we're going to start a little series asking what does it look like to offer a, a, a school for the Lord's service. And along the way, I can't help but just give you a couple of illustrations of urban monasteries and how they've served cities across the ages. And now I'm going to give you some more contemporary ones. This one may be my favorite one. Uh, if we could have the picture of uh, Dorothy Day up there. Um, uh, Dorothy Day died in 1980. She was an American journalist. She uh, converted to Catholicism. Uh, began the Catholic Worker Movement, launched a uh, newspaper advocating for the poor in New York City. She became affiliated with the Benedictine Monastery, read a lot of St. Francis and the Church Fathers, and then she realized that they couldn't sustain the work they were doing among the poor without uh, living in a community where the rhythms of faith were being practiced. And so she started uh, what she called St. Joseph's House, and uh, it was a crazy place. Her biography is called A Long Loneliness. It's uh, probably my top five list of biographies. And it was just a place where everything was going on all the time. And the only way they could sustain it was by praying together, studying scripture together, and living out kind of a monastic rhythm. Uh, and there's 216 Catholic worker houses in cities today seeking the peace of the city. So tonight we want to begin exploring the second part, this idea of a school for the Lord's service. And one of the things that we found at the end of Dorothy Day's life is she found that everyone in her little community wanted to keep drifting away from these core spiritual practices. And she was very concerned that they wouldn't be able to, to sustain their work in the world without a rich inner life and without that school, without that place of spiritual formation. And she was drawing on, uh, on the monastic tradition when she said that. And we can go back now for a moment to the, to the other slide, but early monasteries, and by the way, if you're new here, All Souls likes to go back to Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. So one of the things that we try to do is uh, look for the ancient paths. We try to go back and see how God's people did it in the very beginning and uh, not imitate them precisely, but try to build on what they did. Um, the early monasteries were schools. Um, we'll get one more quote in here and then I, we'll go back. Uh, a famous church historian, Jaroslav Pelikian, the church is always more than a school, but the church cannot be less than a school. The early monasteries had three different parts to their curriculum. Scripture, 
the church fathers, and then the classics, or the best of secular culture. In other words, they would read the very best wisdom they could find about uh, the problems of the day. And usually this was done in the context of what today we would call mentoring, or or, uh, perhaps discipleship. Uh, a very intimate uh, relationship where an older believer would invest in a younger believer. Um, Origen, who was a church father, who is kind of a, a tattered reputation, but at any rate, he was quite a, a mentor of others. Uh, he mentored a, a famous theologian named Gregory, and Gregory at his funeral said this, I was joined to Origen as the soul of Jonathan, with, Jonathan was attached to David. He asked questions, set forth ideas, and listened to the responses of his students. He taught by his own virtuous life and by offering the example of a wise man. He incited us more by what he did than by what he said. So this is kind of how the, uh, the early Christians in these communities uh, formed faithful people. Uh, and so we're trying to ask, what does it look like for us to kind of build on that tradition? Very important question uh, for several reasons. I'll just kind of suggest a few here. I really don't think we can sustain our work in the city and in our families and in our relationships without some kind of a formative community that is really helping us grow strong in Christ. We need that to be God's people in the world. A second reason is the church is in the business of change. If If you're in a church for a season and you're not changing, if you're not facing hard things, if you're not working through problems, if you're not different, then the church has has failed. Third reason is it's just hard to live for Christ in our culture as attorneys and scholars, coaches, Uber drivers, single moms, parents. How can you be faithfully present in our culture How can you love our culture without being overly co-opted by our culture? And this is for free. This is just my opinion. Um, This is worth what you paid for. My impression is is that what's happening right now is in too many cases, the church is either uh, modeling uh, the political movement on the right or the political movement on the left. And there's a strange third way that uh, Jesus showed us, and I think we need to recover it. I think this series is, is important for another, uh, another reason, more personal. Um, I am uh, soon to turn 57, and uh, I hope to be your pastor for many more years. Um, but uh, I won't be here forever. And uh, one of the things that happens when you start to turn the corner towards 6-0 is you start to think about things like, uh, who's going to lead this place when I'm gone? Uh, And and so I'm very much thinking and praying about how do we create a culture where our church's leaders and servants will be formed. And Trevetta Johnson, our board board chair, has just been thinking about this for years and talked to me very many times about it. And so about a year ago, I thought about pulling together a team of teachers to develop a curriculum of classes for us um, as a way... Uh, to start helping us uh, make disciples. And I was talking with Taryn Ellsworth about this, and uh, Taryn you'll get to meet later on tonight, but um, Taryn said, you know, that's a great idea, but uh, if you just pull together a bunch of teachers to do it, uh, all you'll come up with is 
a very teaching-heavy curriculum that emphasizes the gift of teaching. And he said, you, he took me to Ephesians 4, uh, 11 to 12, and we looked at that. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And as we talked about it, uh, he helped me see that God's plan appears to be that a team of gifted people works together collaboratively, much like the Trinity, to together equip the body and make the body whole. Uh, now, that is a very different idea than anything that I'm used to. I, I have been enrolled in a seminary for seven years of my life, and over those years, I, I can remember maybe two or three electives that had anything to do with anything other than teaching. And it was very clear that what I was supposed to do was teach. And when I was in seminary, there were two very gifted teachers, a man named John MacArthur or a man named Chuck Swindoll, who preached 45-minute sermons, one in the morning and one at night. And uh, I was taught in seminary that it took 20 hours to prepare a good sermon. And so you, you kind of get the feel of what I was trained in, what a ministry was supposed to be. It's all about teaching. A lot of beautiful things about that. I'm very thankful for, my, for what I learned about teaching. But it's also a very Western way to think about how people change, right? It's all in your head. It's all in your head. So uh, what we're going to explore in this series is a different way of thinking about this. Um, I, I hope that we begin to get a better understanding of what these five gifts are, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Uh, and I also hope and pray that those of you that have those gifts would start to identify them, and we'd be able to discern how to work together to help our body grow. So that's kind of the goal of the next six or seven, seven weeks. And uh, there is a, I realize that this is a little risky, and I want to comment on that real quickly, because I am hoping that folks will start to identify, some of us will start to identify with these gifts. But there's some risks involved in this, right? Because it's always risky to label a person. It's always risky to say, well, you're that, because you can pigeonhole them and not have to do the hard work of really getting to know them. That's not good. It's risky because... These are just five gifts in the body. There are many other gifts. We all don't have these gifts. And so uh, we could come away from this series going, well, well doggone, I, I didn't get the gift I wanted. Uh, it's risky because I could get all excited and say, say to you, I think you've got this gift. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then five years from now, you realize, you know, I was like wrong. <laughs> and I was talking to somebody this week who was very hurt because someone had really encouraged him. I see this in you. I see this in you. Oh, the Lord's put you in this way. And now he's realized that's actually not who I am. I like who I am. It's not that. And it caused a lot of pain. So we're going to have to back up and be real careful. As we'll see in a minute, Jesus Christ has already given these gifts to the church. We don't have to make them or force them uh, or co-opt them. We're just trying to see them naturally emerge. Now, um, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at these gifts. We're going to ask, what's the function of the gift, the characteristics and traits of the gift, healthy and example examples? Uh, how do they equip the body? How do you prepare 
for this kind of ministry. Now, uh, Taryn is uh, writing a book on these gifts, and he has helped me think about them a lot. And so one of the things we're going to do at the end of each sermon is just for five minutes, we're going to go up and he's going to, most weeks, uh, interview somebody with one of these gifts so that we can get a little better handle on, uh, on what that looks like. We'll have a couple other things a couple other weeks. Now, um, a text without a context is a proof text. So uh, we, we, we can't just dive into Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. It's part of a beautiful portion of Ephesians 4, 1 to 17 that is God's blueprint for creating a school for the Lord's service. It's just a wonderful passage. And um, what we're going to do, a little different than normal, I've asked, or Matt has asked, three different people to read from three different translations this passage. And I want you to just sit with it, listen to it, and see what kind of sparkles in you as you hear it. We've never done this before. I'm not going to ask you to say anything about it. But we're going to read three passages now. Just listen. I'm going to read it three times and see what emerges in you as you hear. First reader, please. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 from the English Standard Version. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measures of Christ's gift. Therefore it is says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended in the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from the whole body, joined and held together by every point with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is read from the King James Version. Uh, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech ye that ye walk worthy of the occasion wherewith ye are called, with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive 
and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to receive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up unto him all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Thus is the word of the Lord. This is... Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 in the message. In light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run. On the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. The text for this is, He climbed the high mountain, He captured the enemy and seized the booty. He handed it all out in gifts to the people. Is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of earth? And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to the highest heaven. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts, He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor-teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working with Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. No prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. 
We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. The word of the Lord. Let's take a moment, and I just want to walk us through the the contours of this wonderful passage. It tells us what it looks like to be a part of a school for Christ. Chapter 4, 1 to 6, the foundation of the school is the unity of the triune God. He talks about being one, maintaining the unity of the Spirit, and he specifically links this to the Trinity. There is one body, one Spirit, one Lord, one God, and Father of all. This is an important place to start. The Trinity is the model of the church, the pattern after which we try to follow. The unity of the triune God is the foundation of the school for the Lord's service. And also, it is a unity for the purpose of mission. This is a unity. I love that phrase in the, in the message. Until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other. <laughs> we're all aligned around God's will, and we're working together to serve Him. Uh, some of you are too young to have ever probably flown on a prop plane, but there used to be, uh, back in the days of, of newspapers and the things like that, there, there were these planes that you would actually push the prop to get it going. And you couldn't fly until the guy would push, 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 and then all of a sudden the prop would just... And I think the idea here is that when all of these gifts work together in unity, equipping the body, helping the rest of us to know and use our gift in unity rhythmically together, you get to a point where everything starts spinning. And in a way, it becomes easier. And that is really exciting to me. I'm really praying we get a taste of that. And here's why, I'm going to be real honest with you. We burn too many people out. especially our leaders. We burn our shepherding team out, especially our shepherding team chairs. I've watched that happen for 14 years. And one of the reasons I'm praying so fervently for this series is it's got to stop. We can't keep burning people out like it's not, it's not good. It's not right. And I think in this passage is a picture of what happens when we are like the Trinity in our congregation. And we all work together. Chapter 4, 7 to 10. The headmaster of the school is Christ. It's a very Christocentric passage. Jesus leads the school of Christ. Paul's a prisoner of Christ, verse 1. It's founded on the grace of Christ, verse 7. The goal is to build up the body of Christ, verse 12. It's to grow into the fullness of Christ, verse 13. It's to grow into the headship of Christ, verse 15. Verses 11 to 12. The faculty of the school are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We all don't have these gifts. Most of us don't have these gifts. These are a handful of folks that God gives to a community to help it equip. 
And one of the things that is kind of hard to figure out as you go along is, uh, let's suppose that you are a, a gifted evangelist. Uh, you love to share your faith. That's not the same thing as this gift to the body of Christ. Why? Because this person wakes up in the morning thinking about, how do I equip the body of Christ in the area of, of evangelism? You may be a gifted teacher, but you may not think much about how does the whole body of Christ grow? How do I create more teachers? And so one of the things when this is working in maturity is there are people who have been raised up to actually train and equip. I think we're pretty young in this. So what might happen is you might be one of these people, but it never occurred to you because you didn't really know that you were in this body to help the rest of us grow in this gift. But that's what's supposed to happen. Then finally, verses 13 to 17, the foundation of the school is the unity of the triune God. The headmaster of the school is Christ. The faculty of the school are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And finally, the purpose of the school is growth. Verses 13 to 17, all sorts of words about growth. Mature, uh, so that we no longer be children. We're to grow up in Christ. What makes the body grow? So the goal of all of this is becoming all that God created you to be. Now I'd like to just take a few minutes now. If Taryn, you could come on up. Karen, I know you've been spending a lot of time working on your book on this, doing a lot of thinking about it. As we start this little journey together, what are some of the things that you want to share with us that could kind of help us go on this journey? Well, first of all, um, I want to emphasize the priesthood of all believers. Um, That, uh, you know, we're, we're all priests, so we've all... Uh, you know, we're, we're not talking about, you know, some division between, you know, uh, who's more holy or who actually has ministry or that kind of thing. You know, we're, we all bear God's image and his presence in the world. Um, and so we all have ministry. Um, some are here to help us do that. Um, and that's kind of what we're, we're trying to dive into. Um, one of the interesting things, too, is that in that verse they're talking about uh, equipping, somebody equipping the saints. The word there in the Greek for equipping is kartotismos, um, and, uh, which means a process of adjustment uh, that uh, results in complete preparedness. So again, we're talking about equipping the saints for the work of ministry, so if you don't think you have ministry, think again. Um, because if you're a saint, you do. Um, and uh, the classical usage of that, uh, that word is setting in order a city torn apart by factions and schisms, uh, outfitting or preparing a ship for a long journey, or preparing an army for the purposes of battle. So uh, we're talking about something here that's saying, hey, this is readying the people of God. Um, and uh, and the, I think the other part, too, as we kind of sit here and we talk over the next couple of weeks, we'll, I'll be up here, like Doug said, the last, last few minutes, uh, just to go do a little bit of an interview with somebody who's got one who really operates in one of these roles and maybe somebody that's operating in ministry in general that's been equipped by that. Um, and, uh, but the key, key point here, you'll hear me say this multiple times, is if you don't have a blinking red light on your dashboard every single morning that says, hey, what's the health of the body of Christ, then we're not saying that you're one of these, right? That's, that's something that God calls and God puts that, he puts that drive in you. Um, 
but uh, and so some but some of you will have that, and you'll you'll go, oh, yeah, I think I think that's me, um, and some of you don't. But if you do, so listen to the Lord throughout this time and go, Lord, is this and is this one me? Is that is that me? Um, but if you don't, that we're not saying you're less than. Uh, you just have a different role in the body that's just as important because we're not talking about a hierarchical thing here. We're talking about a progressive linear thing where each one of these roles comes forward and helps launch every one of you into the ways and places that God's made you for. Um, so you, so your posture in this is not, okay, great, they're not talking about me, I just check out. Listen for and, and ask the question of the Lord, how do these roles help me understand and operate in the ministry that you've given me? Because that's, that's, that's the angle that we're, that we're coming at here. Um, and, uh, and honestly, like not having all of these five uh, present is a lot of times why we don't think much beyond, hey, maybe, I, maybe me being effective in the world is just being a good Christian. There's, there's more to it. God's made you for more than that, more than just, just that. So... Um, but yeah, so the point of this is to, like Doug said, to mature together, to learn how to be equipped and move in unity, um, to prepare for the journey, uh, to arm for battle in a, in, a, in a way that reflects his character and kingdom in the world uh, in the unique ways that he's made each of us together. So, yeah. All right, one question, then we'll go to the table. Mm-hmm. You need that red light. I love that image of the red light. I'm waking up every day. I'm wondering if, if there's someone who just might never have thought of it before in whom this is kind of dawning, and so they might have gone, eh, not me, mm-hmm. but it's something is awakening in them. What would that look like? Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of times we, we get pushed off from that just because we think it has to look like, oh, the way we've seen it modeled is pastor equals CEO of the church, right? Um, as opposed to, hey, there's something that's yearning and burning in me where God has put like a message in me or... Uh, a passion and a deep heart for where there's an area of bro- a specific area of brokenness in the body. Um, hey, the body is not reflecting His kingdom. We are getting off base in the in the the um, in the ways uh, that are in line with His heart and His nature and and, and Scripture. Or um, perhaps we notice factions and schisms, or we notice things like that. So, if there's something that you find has been geared in you, that you're looking around and going. Man, we're just not—we're not doing it right somehow, and that burdens you. It bothers you deeply. Um, but you might have just thought, "Well, I don't have that position. I haven't gone to seminary. I'm not doing this." So pay attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit in you that has, that draws you towards. Hey, this is this is my heart for my people. Great. And you're going to be upstairs uh, in the chapel to answer any questions. I know we're going to we're going to start that next week. Are you available to do it tonight? Yeah, I can do that. Tonight. Okay. So just if you have any more questions, you could go up and talk to Taryn. And we want to get your email on the screen. He can send you links from some of the things he's writing, or also answer some questions. Real quickly, what's your email? The millennials will pick it up. The rest of us will write it down. And get it later. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's uh, Taryn at dreamforge.co, so T-A-R-Y-N at uh, dreamforge, one word, dot C-O. And we'll try to get that up later. All right, thank you. Let's, um, let's come to the table. Thank you. <laughs>